Welcome to the Mortis and Tenon Magazine podcast, where we're celebrating historic furniture making. This is episode number 28. I'm Joshua Klein. And I'm Mike Uptograph. And we got stuff underway. We've been busy um, busy wrapping up. Uh, we have this uh, republication of uh, issues 1, 2, and 3. Uh, that we're calling the first three issues. Yeah, uh, this is a big hardbound book, massive, thick hardbound book, <clears throat> the biggest, thickest book, maybe that I will yeah. own by the time. It's what like... are we estimating? It weighs. I what did we the say? Weight. Like six pounds? Oh, I don't know. It, it's four hundred and ninety-six <laughs> pages, and we were just um, we're just finalizing the design. It's just about to go off to the printer, and we were rolling through all the pages, just kind of getting the the bird's eye view roll right. through, and we were just getting exhausted. We got halfway through, like, <laughs> whoa, this is a ton of content. It's so great. So we're really excited to be able to get this back in print, get it out to our our customers, our readers. Um, so that is um, available for pre-order now. Uh, it's called The First Three Issues. You can find that on our website. Order that there. And it'll be shipping out in August from the printer. Yeah. So uh, we also have some, some new essays, too. Yeah. In, in the book. <clears throat> yeah, uh, four, four new essays in there and uh, lots of uh, new photos and things. Well, some of them aren't new, but it's kind of the life of M&T. Previously unpublished photos. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a fun look at kind of the behind-the-scenes stuff that was going on around here mm-hmm. uh, in the time of the first three issues and then uh, beyond. So. It's actually in... So um, uh, our content editor, Jim McConnell... He wrote one of them, and he was talking about, he said, it probably looked from the outside that everything was this well-oiled machine running smoothly, <laughs> but really there's a lot of panic and a lot of trying to figure stuff out. So um, th- these essays are kind of about that. Yeah. It's kind of like yeah, pulling the helps, curtain back. It helps you say, see like what was going on. And <laughs> what the heck? What, oh, what do you mean another thousand orders? Who the heck? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. So... <clears throat> Uh, we also have another new book in the store, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Our, our friend Danielle Rose Bird has written, uh, would you say maybe it's the final word? Uh, yeah, I think on so. On bowl carving? Yeah, the bird is the word. It is. The bird is the word for bowl carving, and this is an exhaustive <laughs> guide. It is very thorough. The hand-carved bowl. And uh, yeah. we, we got... It's an awesome book. You ordered, pre-ordered a copy... Yep, and received it a little while, like right off the bat, right? Straight from Danielle, and we looked at it and said, "This is awesome. This book, we got to carry it. So good. Yeah, Um, yeah. It really is like it's like the most comprehensive bowl carving book I could have even. Firstly, definitely that I've ever seen, but you know, also that I could even conceive of. Yeah, she got she's got this huge section about all the sorts of uh, sharpening all the different tools from gouges and. Um, bowl adzes and things like that to um you know woods selection and utilizing all the different types of uh wood that you can find with different knots and orientations and like all the ins and outs yeah, of ways everything to you think creatively do. about yeah. design and carving and... feet on the bottom of your bowls <clears throat> yeah and, and even there's this chapter about like stretching and yeah you know like there's a uh, lot of repetitive motions in yeah. bowl carving and so she she walks through a bunch of different exercises and uh, stretches and things to keep yourself like loose and limber and ready to go. Ready to go, yeah. So we have Danielle's book in our store. 
I sent her an email uh, when I got the book from her. I was like, holy smokes, Danielle, this book is so awesome. We have to carry this in our store. So yeah. uh, we now have it, and you can order it there. Uh, the Hen Carved Bowl, uh, really exciting stuff. Yeah. So. And um, June 1st, right? Yeah, it's only is... what, like less than two weeks. <clears throat> yeah, not long. It's the last call for this year's um, craft research grant applications. So if this is the first time you've heard of the M&T craft research grant, uh, let's, we got to bring you up to speed real quick. You better hurry. <laughs> uh, this is an opportunity for you to apply to receive uh, funding and support for uh, a craft research, an area of your interest, something maybe that you've always wanted to study yep. uh, or look into or go travel to a museum or an institution and find out more about something. Uh, we want to help with that. Uh, so we set up this program that gives uh, grants up to uh, the amount of three thousand dollars for research, and part of the part of the whole thing, you know, one of the things that we really wanted to do with this was each grant recipient will um, write an essay summarizing their research that will mm -hmm. get published in a future issue of M and T. Um, so that deadline's coming right up. We've received. A nice pile of applications and just from you know skimming through them yeah we're gonna have a hard time yep selecting <laughs> yeah we've seen we 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 get some in and we're like oh man this is awesome yeah. and then we get another one we're like oh this is really good how yeah. are we and we're secretly like maybe we should just talk to them all yeah <laughs> <laughs> just like we'll just we'll just do all of it yeah, somehow yeah. um it it's really great and so you've got not quite a couple weeks. Yeah, yeah less, less than, less than two, two weeks, weeks to, to that for us to get your application. It's a mail-in application. So hop on our website. Look for our, um, up at the top of our website. We have uh, the grant link. Uh, click on that. Check that out. Print out the application and get that off to us right away to see if you can get in on this. Um, however, we're going to be continuing to run it. Yeah, two so, two grants per year. Yeah, two grants per year. So. Um, if you're past the deadline, it doesn't matter. Just keep, send it in, and it will just be applied to the next round. Um, we want to continue to, to facilitate good uh, craft research to celebrate the diversity of our, you know, craft heritage around the world. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we're uh, really close to that, so watch out for that. Yeah, so for today's discussion, uh, we thought we would hit upon... Um, some conversations that have gone on in the blog, and they've been really good and really fruitful. Uh, some some folks have uh, made some great comments, and uh, we've had multiple posts kind of around a similar theme, so we thought we'd just mm -hmm. kind of put them together uh, into a podcast, and we can discuss it. Uh, we're, we're calling this discussion, Should Work Be Easy? Yeah, emphasis on the easy. Easy. So work is good. And we enjoy work, but the question is, should it be easy? Yeah. Is that the, the ultimate goal and the way that we think about our tools and technologies? Yeah, I, that... think, I think the word should, should and the word easy, both we have to look at really closely. Yeah, here. exactly. Should um, it be? <clears throat> so do you want to introduce where that uh, idea came from that work should be easy? Yeah, sure. I mean, so the first thing what I'd say is before we even dive into it, though, uh, because we've titled this, Should Work Be Easy? I just want to clarify what we mean by work. 
Mm. Um, Because I think sometimes people hear that. I think most people uh, hear the word work and they assume what you're talking about is career, paid employment. Okay. Yep. Uh, So I always want to clarify that we're talking about way more than that. Because when you take care of your kids, that's work. Yeah. (laughs) It's real work. Yeah. And that's not non-work probably most work is unpaid yeah most work is unpaid (laughs) so we're using work in the most uh core basic idea of activity uh providing basic necessities um but also it uh you can do work that is pleasurable Mm -hmm. so woodworking for hobby could still be considered work even though it's your your goal is leisure so uh, I just want to make sure that it's clear. We're not just talking about how to run a factory better. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, running is work. No one would argue that. Sure. I don't think. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it really depends on how you define it. Um, sometimes there's this real stark contrast between work and leisure. So they would say, no, no, running is leisure, not, not work, because you're, you know. But what we're saying is it's all-encompassing. Yeah. We're talking about um, productive activity, whether it's, financially compensated for or not right uh just productive activity yeah so yeah i mean we had um this this whole thing is there are a few different streams of of ideas that have come through us um and to us we've been on the blog blogging a lot five days a week talking about different things that's work uh which is work (laughs) and lots of fun yeah Uh, but um so we've been getting emails and people interacting with us one thing that actually, the first thing that kicked this off in my mind was um, there was a reader, uh, Brian, he wrote an email to us and he had a really thoughtful, long email to us. He saw that we were, as we were building the box sets, we were clamping them up. We were building them with hand tools as we do. And we were clamping them up with um, quick grip, like the plastic clamps yeah. with the rubber ends um, and <clears throat> the pads. And he was intrigued that we would choose to use those. And so he asked, you know, he said, well, here's here's a little bit from his email. He said, how do you in your work and personal lives balance the traditional and modern? I see you're using modern clamps with rubber pads that can be operated with one hand. This is an interesting juxtaposition for you two guys that are so passionate about traditional woodworking. And then he also commented our six-foot Nicholson bench in our YouTube video. The about travel that, bench, the right? Tra- the travel <clears throat> bench. We were talking about how we designed the bench so that we could assemble it at Lee Nielsen and Woodworking in America and all those shows in a few minutes. And so the the leg units and the top all get assembled with torque screws and a screw gun real quick. Yeah. So we were talking about why we designed it that way. And he thought, well, that's really su- surprising to me. Why, mm-hmm. why would you do that? <clears throat> Um, and so he asked this, this idea, like he said, to what extent does your philosophy of traditional woodworking permeate the rest of your life? Hmm. Or as he said, um, where is the line in the sand for you guys that, that delineates when you go traditional and when you go modern? Is it at your shop door? Is it at your house, in your mind, in your soul? Right. (laughs) He said, which I'm not even sure how to even respond to that. Yeah. Um, so he, Those are good questions. So his questions are basically, okay, you guys are about, um, in his words, traditional woodworking. Um, and is that correct? And how does that inter- interact with the fact that we're using a digital recording device on our yeah. podcast? Yeah, podcast, tools? right. Um, so he wants to, 
he wants us to talk about that idea. And that was kind of the first seed of, yeah, we want to explore this idea of how our tool choice and our technology choice interacts. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because over the years we've gotten, um, we've had some interactions or, or um, funny comments or jokes made. Like uh, the one time at Fine Woodworking Live when we were assembling our display with a cordless driver and was it ben yeah ben strano came up and he's like, oh i caught you guys yeah he, he was taking pictures of he us he took pictures and oh, posted man. it like oh look at these guys they're using modern tools and <laughs> my comment was yeah and we even used a horseless carriage to get here to the show the horse i mean we're, we're willing to even go that far uh in our use <laughs> of technology so if there's this sense that we are trying to live this 18th century existence somehow uh let me just blow that out of the water right now because it's not true um so don't be disappointed if you find out that we use you know computers and such mm -hmm. things we use electric lights even mm -hmm. even led lights yep speaking of modern technology mike but, even has a lighter that's usb oh powered. it is so cool so you know <laughs> Safety first, especially in the wintertime, you should always carry two sources of fire, right? Just just so if you have a backup. And so I found this one. It's a lighter, an electric lighter. You can charge it from a USB port. And it creates this electric this really arc. Dumb. Oh, it's so cool. Anyway, moving on. But, but what did you do? Oh, which Your story? Uh, when I, which story? There are some interesting stories with it. Uh, I was trying to seeing if i could use it to like heat some uh some of my food that i had been eating which was cold so i'm holding a metal fork and i basically tased myself uh it was it was shocking i mean i have to say it was it was startling i didn't you know didn't expect that yeah so uh don't use it with metal maybe a, a wooden spoon would have been see? safer see if you had that, that the merger traditional, the traditional and yeah the, you would have been fine the safety from the wooden spoon uh, anyways yeah so, so what is the line in the sand uh, is it in your soul yeah i don't i don't really know how that would work out if the line was in your soul mm -hmm. uh but I, mean, I think the thing that we were talking about you know mike and i talked about this kind of stuff quite a bit um but we were just recently reflecting on this and you know i think it's important we're interested in this idea of appropriate technology yeah um and there's a you know ef schumacher developed this whole thing um and we can talk about that in a second but i like thinking about um helpful technology what's helpful yeah. to me right now and i think as soon as you say what technologies or tools are helpful to me right now to achieve my goals mm -hmm. then you're instantly asking oh okay so what are my goals what are my goals what am i yep. trying to accomplish here in this moment yeah am i just trying to get to the grocery store as fast as possible mm -hmm. back home yeah or am i trying to exercise or am i trying to experience as much of nature as possible right in my transportation goal right now what am i trying to achieve obviously those aren't mutually exclusive you could bike to the grocery store um, but it's just, it I, is hard to haul milk back on a bicycle. Well, yeah, it's yeah. not impossible. It's not, but you know, so you, by identifying your goals at the beginning, you can say, okay, well, what is a conducive path to get to the end of, um, you know, what I'm after? Um, so that's important. But I think the other thing is along with that, um, 
understanding <clears throat> that technology is ecological. Yeah. And so what we mean by that is not that we want it grows green, little flowery things. Or that or like we're talking about green technology. Right. Which is great and fine. <clears throat> That's just not the point. That all technology is ecological and that it affects the environment. Everything um every new technology um, is ecological not additive right so it's not like the world is what it is and then you just keep inventing new things and adding on top of it every t a new technology displaces other technologies so when a car was invented the horseless carriage horses were pushed off the streets ultimately over yeah. time it displaced horses <clears throat> yeah i mean the study of ecology was so revolutionary because it took all these um kind of diverse fields of study See, because what, what science tends to do is it tends to um, isolate fields, right? So you have experts in different fields, and very often they don't, they don't communicate very much. So you could be an expert over here in, you know, human anthropology and have very little to do with, uh, you know, like some other aspect, like the biological aspects of, of um, you know, humanity or, or the environment. And so these fields tend to become um, more specialized, but more uh, disparate. They, they don't communicate so much. But what ecology started to do was try and look at the whole picture about how everything affects everything else. And so when you're talking about the ecological nature of technology, you're saying technology doesn't just, it's not like putting a sticker on a guitar case. It actually yeah. changes the contents. Yeah. And like, so there's this really great example. Um, uh, there's a family member who told me the story. <clears throat> he had he had this pond in his front yard, and he had these um, <coughs> excuse me. He got these little yard ducks. He got like three or four ducks or something. yard ducks. Yeah, just like pet fun ducks. Okay, to... so they're not like the like a lawn. Oh yeah, yeah, they're no, real ducks. Yeah, like real ducks. Okay. So he had these little little uh, pet ducks, and <clears throat> he brought them in, and they were cute, and they were just running around the yard. And they started. They discovered the pond pretty quickly, and they were swimming in the pond. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And then some wild ducks were flying over, and they said, oh, check oh, out those ducks friends. down there. Yeah. Um, and they flew down, and they splashed in the water, and they were swimming around. And so these pet ducks had friends, mm -hmm. wild friends who came to visit. And then the next season or later this season, uh, he... Noticed that in the pond, these cattails started popping up. Uh oh! Because the the wild ducks had brought in these cattail seeds mm -hmm. on them. There had never been cattails before, and so he said, "Okay, well, whatever. Just a few cattails isn't a big deal." Uh, and if you've listened to our last episode yeah. of the podcast, yeah. you know they actually are a big deal. Yeah, cattails take over, and so <clears throat> these cattails started growing, and he couldn't get to it, and the cattails ended up taking over and running crazy. And within, I think, a few years, it was a small pond. The whole thing was full of cattails, filled in the pond, Whoa. and there is no more pond. Yeah, it's all that's dried great. up. So what <laughs> Just that means because is because of his little long ducks. He started with ducks, and he said, "You know, how, how harmless could that be?" But the, the presence of those ducks influenced this chain of events that shaped <clears throat> that changed the ecology of his front yard. Yeah, and it it changed the what happened there. So then ducks don't land there anymore because there's no pond yeah you know i mean it is it is so interesting to look back over obviously the history of technology and its application and the way it has changed things in unforeseen ways like 
we, we talk about just, let's say, species of tree, right? You have like elm trees and chestnut trees. These things like chestnuts, uh, 150 years ago, one in four trees in eastern North America was a chestnut. Hmm. And now there just aren't any. Yeah. There's a handful because they got wiped out because of some, uh, you know, wood imports um, from Asia. And they, it brought this disease, which wiped out the chestnut tree. You know, they were just practicing the science of economics outside of the science of, you know, environmental health. So, <laughs> whoops. Uh, so how are we going to fix that? So now, you know, there's, there are these attempts to um, combine this uh, resistant strain of Asian chestnut with the American ones to try and bring back chestnuts. But of course, the forest has closed in, mm-hmm. right? That's not going to be a natural process anymore. Yeah. Um, and now we're dealing with uh, this emerald ash borer, which is doing similar things. And it likely within a few decades, the the ash tree will be mostly a memory. I mean, that's horrible yeah. to think about. But um, <clears throat> so it's it's this this um, technology makes changes mm-hmm. it it affects things and so uh, the example of the ducks in the pond it's one thing but how how do you apply that view to let's say tool technology yeah well so um uh there's a, a media uh scholar john Culkin who um who coined this this phrase uh he said we shape our tools and thereafter our tools shape us this, of course, applies to um, all sorts of technologies as well. I think he's he's using that word tools to mean all sorts of technologies. But it's kind of, sort of like this. <clears throat> Thoreau. Thoreau was concerned about the railroad, as we know. Um, and he was talking about how in this, this village, when the railroad came in, he says, Have not men improved somewhat in punctuality since the railroad was invented? Do they not talk and think faster in the depot than they did in the stage office? Hmm. He said that they started to do things in railroad fashion. So the railroad changed the way that the the village functioned, that farmers started setting clocks because they were aware of the punctuality of the the engine coming through. Hmm. So all these technologies, when we have a, a watch on our wrist, that changes the way we think. Yep. We think, I'm, I'm always late or I'm always early or how much time do I have? But think about before we had clocks. It was sunrise and sunset. It was it morning was, and afternoon, yeah. morning and evening. There wasn't this minute-by-minute punctuality. Yep. Interestingly, Gandhi was obsessed with clocks, and he had this very rigid view of the morality of punctuality. <clears throat> so oh, wow. Huh. It was just this bizarre, it changed the way we think. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean... That that is to not say whether those changes are positives or negatives necessarily, right? It's not um, not a judgment call on that, but just to say that uh, the introduction of the uh, train and the railroad and that form of transportation created a new way of thinking about travel, a way that is based around you know hours and minutes rather than days and it it changed the way people looked at going from point a to point b and just the whole way we interacted with time it's sort of like permaculture permaculture talks about native species and invasive species that whole idea is kind of bunk yeah permaculture doesn't like that because 
what's truly native right like native what's native when? now invaded at some point exactly so, so permaculture is just saying let's just identify that things affect each other right and so let's be responsible hyper keystone species that's know, what like, we are right yeah so we're we can steer this thing potentially in really powerful ways yeah to good or ill yeah and there are all, all these sorts of consequences to things we do so let's just be smart yeah and be careful yeah so it's not about so we got to find the native technologies and the invasive technologies and right. weed out the invasive no, no 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 right just understand we're shaped by our tools right so just have your eyes wide open yeah know that that newest latest and greatest thing will change the way you work it'll change the way you build furniture uh, and and be aware of that so speaking of latest and greatest things another um conversation on the blog that took place around uh you you did a very short blog post one day it was just basically a link right to yeah. a youtube video uh for this uh interesting device called the shaper origin it's a handheld cnc machine yep so if you picture a router that within it has this apparatus for um controlling the the router bit or the cutter within the framework of the router so you know a cnc does all the the um orienting of the cutter and all that on its own but this router what it does is you move it over the surface which has been marked with these uh, stickers and stuff. So the, the CNC is reading the surface. And as you move it, it's moving the cutter independently of your motions, right? And it's, oh, it's self-correcting. It's self-correcting. It's yeah. doing all the details as you slowly slide it over the surface. So you are basically um, a, a, a force. You are applying kinetic energy. You're moving this thing around. You're, you're the framework of the CNC, but it's doing its own cutting. Yeah. And so you program this thing by going on the like the Shaper Origin website and you get designs and plans and you can make your own and lay out these very detailed cuts and very detailed things that you make. And then you you program it, you enter it into the the device and then you apply the um, the labeling to your piece of plywood or your piece of wood obviously has to be perfectly flat and uniform and then uh the the handheld cnc reads where it is and it learns the surface and then you slowly move it back and forth over the surface and it makes all the cuts and it so if you go off course the bit auto corrects it goes back to your line so you don't have to guide it with your hands you're just kind of generally pushing it in the direction right. of the line and it's correct and if you get too far out of the way like so far beyond your line that it maxes out its corrective ability it retracts, it retracts. the cutter yeah so so basically it's interesting because you'd say oh but i'm sure there's still some skill involved in that and whatever and you know but what's interesting is the reason i posted the video is the very first line in the video when it opens up it says making thing <clears throat> excuse me making things should be easy mm -hmm. and then launches into its sales pitch yeah and it builds on this whole idea that to try to get to try to invest in learning skills is not a worthwhile right use of because time because it should be easy it should be easy yeah. and my question is should it be <laughs> yeah. easy? and and what sort of perspective on work 
and um, in particular woodworking mm-hmm. um, assumes that this should be easy. Right. If it's not easy, there's something wrong with it because right. we want it to be easy. Yeah. And it opened up this can of worms. People were talking about, you know, I think there's skill in engineering and there's skill in... Fair enough, but the question is, the assumption, uh, should a handheld, should woodworking be easy? So therefore, the best way to do it is a CNC machine, because that's easier. Yeah. Is that a value we should be pursuing? Right. I mean, it's it's an interesting thing to consider, um, the amount of creative input that you get for, let's say you want to build a chair with that device, right? You get online, you find a plan, you download it. Uh, you find, you get the materials, right? I assume that it builds chairs out of plywood. <clears throat> or I'm sure you can use, you can use hardwood too, but okay. So you you um, you then get it all set up and you mill out this chair with your handheld machine and then you assemble it, right? Um, so in my mind, that's that's just a step away from going to the store and buying a box with the parts in and and assembling it yourself except someone would argue but wait you've had you've been able to uh access the store and creatively come up with your own design and and all these these different aspects of it right so what would what would you respond with somebody who would say that that you you've had the ability to be creative in the process yeah, I mean, what I would say, I mean, in my response to that, um, I wrote a blog post a couple of days later um, that was titled, uh, Not Everything Should Be Easy. Um, and it was basically looking at, when, you, when you're trying to understand what is technology, and it's a really great way to, to understand this is just to basically look at the etymology, just the basic etymology, technology. So techne, the Greek word, or art or craft, however you want to define it. It's just this manual skill, having craft or art. And the ology is the study of, or the mm. systematic treatment of something. So technology is the systematic treatment of a craft right. or an art. And so it's it's saying, okay, well, it's great that you're you know making a chair, but let's really systematize this. Let's right. really do this in a way that we can... Um, make it scalable and make it you know available all over and we can mechanize it and whatever that's technology it's Mm -hmm. the whole idea of trying to make craft um, systematic and so what i would say is a a good way of explaining that i think is understanding it in terms of outsourcing Hmm. so um, we have a few examples here we want to read about kind of how this plays out but if you think about craft and it's a person, an artisan making a thing, and this person says, okay, well, I want to be able to, I, I can't really guide this chisel very carefully. I'm not very skilled. Right. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up a fence. Mm-hmm. I'm going to outsource the control or the dexterity that I'm supposed to have to use this tool. I'm going to, you know, lo- you know, maybe a straight edge with a knife because I can't, of course, make a perfectly straight line. Right. So you put the straight edge down and you outsource the control. You're outsourcing dexterity to the fence. Yeah. Um, so you can outsource control. <clears throat> you can also outsource energy. 
which we know about. Yeah, uh, plug it in. Electricity. Yeah. So you don't have to push the dang thing the yeah, whole time. Yeah, you are not generating the force. Yeah, so like a, a miter box saw that mm-hmm. we've been using, um, you could instead plug that in and put a circular blade on there. Yeah. And then you have a chop saw. Yeah, and so not... the only energy input from you is to move the tool up and down. Up and down, right. You're not generating the cutting force anymore. So you can also outsource <clears throat> energy. And lastly, you could outsource design which is using templates or plans. Even if they're your design, um, you could you know, maybe make a template, but the template now, you can say, I'm going to make the same candle stand leg in the same shape every yeah. time. So that's kind of where I would start with it, is looking at technology to me can be summarized in, uh, in a very simplistic way, outsourcing. Are you outsourcing the control, the dexterity? Are you outsourcing energy? Are you outsourcing design? And all tools do this, but it's just, I think that's the framework that I think about. What is technology versus craft? Yeah. Yeah. And so um, Matthew Crawford, who has written uh, some good, thoughtful books that address some of these things, um, in the book Shop Class as Soul Craft, uh, he writes about sort of about this idea of outsourcing design. Um, <clears throat> and he's talking about uh, the the Build-A-Bear phenomenon. I've never seen one of these places. Have oh, you? really? I have, yeah. yeah. Okay. They're in the malls. So it's, it's like be, in a know. shopping mall you go, and um, you have this chance to build a bear, right? A teddy bear. A teddy bear. Custom teddy bear. <clears throat> However you want it, you're, being, you're exercising your creativity, right? And so <clears throat> this is what he says. One of the hottest things at the shopping mall right now is a store called Build-A-Bear, where children are said to make their own teddy bears. I went into one of these stores, and it turns out that what the kid actually does is select the features and clothes for the bear on a computer screen. Then the bear is made for him. Some entity has leaped in ahead of us and taken care of things already with a kind of solicitude. The effect is to preempt cultivation of embodied agency, the sort that is natural to us. And so he goes on, he talks about um, this, this way of marketing, like new cars. It's all about you and how it's like you are special and so this car is made special for you exactly like the tens of thousands of others (laughs) that are special for their own owners so you get a short menu to choose from to specialize and i think that um when you are when you're using a very advanced digital tool to make something and you're drawing from a menu yeah those are your options of shapes and things like that that you're really you're you're doing yourself a disservice in limiting your agency. Mm-hmm. You're saying I'm going to build within this box. I'm I'm setting these boundaries, and this is where I can build. This mm-hmm. is where I can create. It's sort of like if you went to an a la carte, you know, like a uh, buffet kind of thing, and you right. said I'm going to make <clears throat> dinner for my family, and you walked up there and you grabbed a plate of everything and handed it to your family, and you said I mm-hmm. I selected this right. for you. I made you this dinner. It's like well you didn't. You didn't make it. You just chose from the options available. Um, So, yeah, I think that's um, an important thing to point out that um, that's outsourcing design. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, you can still choose from the options. But you can get all the way to – I've seen this also, you know, a lot of period furniture makers, they want to buy blueprints that that every single joint is detailed and – 
right totally laid out exactly the way it is and so that's fine that's fair enough if you yeah, just if you want, want to make an exact reproduction of something <clears throat> that's that's great. what you have to do and if you just want a teddy bear and you want one a certain color great fine yeah. but it's it's i think it's misleading to say i made this teddy bear mm-hmm. or for someone to say i designed this chest of drawers right well you you didn't design it you used the design right and so there's a craft to designing things just like if you if you think about this too like <clears throat> um the difference between uh you can craft a sentence mm-hmm. that's not a tangible thing right you can craft a sentence um and if i typed the sentence on my computer i'm still pushing each letter but the the forming of each letter I'm outsourcing to the key. Now I just right. press the key and the H is written, right? So that's one level from instead of me writing the letter, I'm pressing a key that writes the letter all the way to once I write it, I can copy and paste. Yeah. Now I've done it even more. <clears throat> and then once I print it, it comes out of there and it's on a piece of paper. So what I'd say is I crafted the sentence, right? but then I printed it. I wouldn't say I... I made that printed sentence. I crafted that printed sentence, right? Right. So that's the difference is, is there skill in the activity? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not skill in hitting print, I would argue, <laughs> but there is skill in formulating the string of words. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so <clears throat> that's a situation where the, the technology used is not affecting the... The, the craft, so to speak, that you're making. On the other hand, there are, and I see them popping up on YouTube all the time, these apps you can get to basically correct everything you ever write. Like these people are oh, they're like, man. oh, writing is hard. And so you should have this app because it corrects everything and it changes your words to make it more compelling. So at that point, <laughs> okay. you're not really, what comes out is not really what you're writing. That would not be wordcraft. <clears throat> right. That would be outsourcing word technology yeah Yeah. it's outsourcing um so yeah that's too bad (laughs) it's um i mean that is sort of the the logical progression of technology is that when you look at work as something that is hard but should be easy what you want is technology to do things for you Mm -hmm. and we're talking about right it's autocorrect and we're talking about the degree to which that takes away your freedom. Right. Yeah, and I think that's really important. I mean, I I hear already, I know some of our listeners are saying, these guys, yeah, they, but what they're, about... trying, they're down on technology. The point is not, in all situations, it's either good or bad. We're saying, no, understand that the stuff is ecological. Yeah. So, uh, spell check yeah. is great. Yeah. That's great. However, if we continue down a path where we only ever use spell check and said well we didn't really need to teach our kids how to spell because we have spell check and it's so powerful now at some point in the future we're not going to be able to spell anymore yeah um and that's not like you know fear mongering or something that's just a reality that when we outsource our abilities to something else those abilities within us atrophy we don't have those abilities anymore and so we're just trying to say there are many things in life that we don't want those skills to atrophy we want to be able to do that um yeah and uh you know crawford talks a lot because he is he's a a mechanic he's a motorcycle mechanic and so that's 
technology, but very much of it is it's extremely hands-on. It's like projecting yourself into the machine and trying to understand what's going on. And um, it's a very visceral uh, way of working. And he, he talks about the fact that since the automobile has been out, it's been, um, you know, the, the, the thing to do is to tinker with it or to work on it yourself. And new vehicles are coming out, which it's impossible to do that. He's like, yep. this new Mercedes doesn't even have a dipstick. You can't even check your oil level, let alone change the oil. Yep. Um, so basically that skill is being removed from your hands. It's not even an option anymore because of the application of technology. And that's maybe easier, but the question is, should it be easy? <clears throat> yeah. Is there some should value to knowing? Right. And then, you know, a whole other discussion uh, that he gets into in the book, uh, Why We Drive is the whole um, self-driving vehicle question. And uh, he he writes this, this really funny little anecdote that um, in 2016, he was asked to write for an ad campaign that Porsche was doing uh, because apparently Porsche is at the forefront of the self-driving vehicle um, technology and the push for that technology, which he found really surprising because of their... their um, you know, they're, they're, they're just an icon of like the driver's car, right? Like this high performance vehicle that connects you to the road, but they're moving towards these self-driving vehicles. And, uh, but their argument is it'll allow a media, they wouldn't say a mediocre driver, but it'll allow a driver who is not a race car driver to experience that vehicle driving in a way that contains those thrills like you can program a porsche to drive like michael schumacher and so what he he ended up writing this essay which they told him they couldn't use and it created this massive argument within the company right <laughs> these people going back and forth because he said you're just stealing our agency you're you're stealing you're turning this car from a connection from the the driver to the road and you're turning it into an experience it might as well be an amusement park ride so he says this, the pleasure of driving is the pleasure of doing something. And by the mm -hmm. way, I would I would say driving, you could put any kind of like creative work. Making or yeah. Sh yeah, shaping. So the yeah. pleasure of driving is the pleasure of doing something, of being actively and skillfully engaged with a reality that pushes back against us, like the mm. grain of the wood. Like the grain of the wood, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Only then do we feel the progress of our own mastery in skilled activities, we sometimes recover the joy of childhood play, that period in life when we are discovering new powers in our own bodies. Um, so I, I just found that a really powerful perspective on um, why hard work and work that you start out really bad at, but you have to grow in skill, why that's so rewarding. Yeah. I had a... Um, a a reader sent an email to me and this guy Cal and um, he had some really great thoughts about his experience when he was when he was young um, he he said <clears throat> he said I'm reminded of shop class in grade five hmm. where my teacher was very clear that until I could make a straight cut with a handsaw I would never understand the utility of a power tool and I would never understand the skill of woodworking hmm. A power tool can take us away from using our senses, our touch, and our sight, and to some extent the smell of working with wood. 
feeling the texture, seeing the grind, and sensing the tool under our palm where the grind shifts for a knot or from tension in the wood. No, it should not be easy. Hmm. If all we use are produced laminates engineered to a standard and tools that work for utility, then we have what we designed. But working wood by hand, we have what we crafted working with the wood as part of the pattern and process. That's, these are the emails we that's get. That's great. <laughs> it's yeah. like, awesome. We, we read these things where you go, oh, man, we just love our readers. They're yeah. so thoughtful. So, so and... Cal, yeah, Cal has hit it on the head. You know, it's basically saying, he's not <clears throat> saying, uh, you know, don't ever use a power tool. He's saying, but if you don't know what it is to saw by hand, and and I would say, like, maintain that ability. Not right. just like, oh, yeah, I like, learned do how to once. do that. Hey, I saw it, I got it once. Yeah. Um, but, you know, have this uh, regular engagement with life. And as he says, the, the smell and the feel of the grain and all that kind of stuff. If you're not connected with that, you're going to be distanced from it. And you're going to be not understanding. So you're, you can get the thing you designed through the shape or origin huh. <laughs> or whatever other thing. But, but you're not going to be crafting something. Crafting, the whole idea of crafting, the definition of crafting is skillfulness, engaged, right. uh, skillful engagement with the world. Um, that's the whole etymology of the word. Yeah. I mean, that's where it comes from. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to talk about kind of the balance between challenge and skill, right? Mm -hmm. That, that yep. book, uh, Flow, right? Yeah, Chiksent, uh, Chiksent, Chiksent Mahali. Mahali. His, his first name is Mihaly. Yeah, I looked it up. How it's, do you say that Sik, dude's name? I always thought it was Sikhsent Mihaly. Uh, it's Mihai. It's Sikhsent Mihai. I looked it up the other day. That's a great name. Sikhsent Mihai. That's his last name. I Mihai always thought I had Sik... to spell my name a lot for people. <laughs> yeah, so it's Mihai Sikhsent Mihai. Mm. That's what I looked up the other day. Now, that's just taking someone's word for it. Yeah. Uh, but it's spelled not even close to that it's like yeah. c z y you yeah know, whatever it's a tricky, um, tricky csi for us KS, yeah americans anyways you've seen this name maybe and uh his his book flow he's a psychologist and he's looked at this idea of what he calls flow and someone's in the flow um in creative work and um the book has been around for a number of years so this isn't a brand new idea but it's really seeped into the consciousness of many people uh, talking about um, what creative work is like when it really clicks and when you're just able to, you know, it's sort of like unconscious, like the the jazz piano player yeah. who's just improvising and going and they, with And it. they tell yeah. you, I'm not even thinking about it. My hands are just playing it. Yeah. That's the flow kind of thing. It's, it's embodied uh, knowledge. And so he talks about this idea. He talks about flow in terms of happiness or satisfaction. And he says you have to balance challenge and, um, and skill. So if you have way more skill than the task at hand demands yeah. of you, you're going to be bored. Yeah. You're going to say, like, I'm just, like a, you know. an adult playing with like toddler toys. For a little while, they can be kind of fun right <laughs> i don't know and, and then you're like well this is really this boring is kind of boring I, i've moved past this like 20 30 40 years ago yeah so on the other side of the this scale if you were to have if the challenge of the task way exceeded your skill 
it's frustrating. It's frustrating. You can You're see like, it. Be yeah. Despairing saying, I can't <clears throat> saw this. I can't carve like Al Breed. This right. is, you know, this is like uh, demeaning to me. I, yeah. I can't even do I it. I just feel stupid. Um, and you see, you can see these <clears throat> extremes, you know, just very neatly wrapped up when you, you teach your kids something, yeah. right? Like um, kids learning to read. That's one place where the challenge often exceeds the skill and they get frustrated. Yeah. Um, but then on the other hand, if your kid has been reading for a long time and then you give them a book that's like really simplistic, they're like, oh, that's pretty boring. Um, yeah. You know, kid, kids are a very good illustration of this principle that finding the sweet spot in between is where they're the happiest. Yep. You know, they thrive in that. And that's where their skill grows, right? So then the challenge can increase with it. But if right. you get outside of that sweet spot, you're just either frustrated or bored. Yeah. And I think the thing that's important to remember is, you know, it's sort of like this, what's your philosophy of setting goals in your life? Do you only ever set goals that you can easily achieve? Right. Then you're going to get bored. So yeah. so I think uh, Sikhsen uh, Mihai would say, what you want to do is, you know, set the goal kind of just out of reach so that you, you rise to the challenge. You rise to meet that. Your skills then increase. And as your sense, as your skills increase, your sense of personal agency increases. And you say, hey, I made that. Yep. I didn't know I could make furniture like that. And I really push myself. Um, and I can see where I can improve. And next time I want to try to use this instead of that, you know, table saw or whatever, whatever yep. the thing is in your head that you want to move away from. So you can maybe start off with some some tools that do make it easier for you because you don't have much skill. But then you think, okay, if I just only ever used this CNC machine or whatever you know yep. you're using, I won't grow in my skill. I won't skill. grow. So I want to continue to challenge myself and push myself uh, and to learn how to carve like Al Breed someday. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that's I think for me, if you're looking at woodworking in terms of trying to find joy and satisfaction just you know kind of daily satisfaction happiness in this craft then i would say trying to make this work easy is the wrong path yeah and sikh sent mihai would say the same thing he would say uh, that is not the path you want to be challenging yourself and pushing yourself to rise to that challenge and that's through unguided tools that's through yeah. you know so you got to be smart about what you can actually you don't want to set yourself up for just failure but you want to push yourself yeah i mean <clears throat> there are a lot of programs out there like a couch to 5k or something like that hmm. imagine if you tried instead of having a training program which is a way to try and balance frustration with you know with challenge it's like the sweet spot right so mm -hmm. the first day you go out and you mostly walk and then, the, and then the next time you go out and there's some walking and some jogging. So it's always pushing you. Imagine if instead they decided to say, running a 5K should be easy. Therefore, here's this <laughs> technology where you sit in this pod and you zoom to the finish line. And then you have achieved your goal. And you say, I ran this 5K. I ran this 5K and here's my finisher's medal to show for it. Um, that is... I would say a an agency destroying application yeah. of technology. Talk about boredom and not fulfilling. Yeah. So, uh, running a five k should not be easy. 
Right. Just by definition, it's a challenge. Right. Exactly. <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, I think for us, a lot of what our answer to this qu question, making things should be easy, we would say it depends on what your goals are. If you're right. just trying to make stuff, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Make it simple. <clears throat> make it cheap. Make it, you know, whatever. If you're just trying to make stuff, tin cans don't need to be artisanal. <laughs> right. you know what i mean like just whatever make stuff but if your goal is to engage with wood understand how to use tools uh you want this reward of developing hand skills you're going to want to go the path of engagement yeah um not everything is based uh should be based on this purely utilitarian basis right i mean even even hand tool people hand tool woodworkers can fall into this trap where they like hand tools they're willing to go that far but then they'll spend all day talking about, oh, we want to be efficient. We want to be as fast as possible. We don't want to waste our time. And like, and that's when they start saying, and therefore, I would never consider ripping a board by hand right. or doing whatever that's because stupid. that's terrible. That's masochistic. <clears throat> right. I would say, well, let's just identify our objectives. Um, and so, you know, I, I think if you said, I'm never going to rip a board by hand because that's masochism. And instead, you go for a run. Right. that doesn't really make any sense in my head yeah um ripping a board by hand is a lot less strenuous than going for a whole run yeah it is so it's, it's sort of just identifying your values and saying what am i trying to get out of this yeah and part of that is uh you know like it's kind of the line between you call something masochistic so you can write it off what you actually mean is it's a challenge that i'm not sure i'm up to so <laughs> yeah. um so just you know read it honestly like, are you writing something off because of what everyone else says and because, you know, you're not motivated to push yourself in that way? Because yeah. then that's that's an honest way of looking at sure. it. Sure. Rather than just saying, oh, that's uh, that's stupid. Yeah. I mean, I remember I was talking with uh, a guy, uh, a customer, when I was at Lost Art Press at the open house, um, and there was a guy there talking about um, some stuff we'd written in M&T, and he was very appreciative and he said, I used to only use hand tools, but I actually, um, a couple of years ago, I got a shoulder in injury and I Ooh. can't rip by hand anymore. It like kills my shoulder. So I recently just invested in a nice bandsaw. I said, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. <clears throat> yeah. And so it, the point isn't, oh, now it's not as pure. Yeah. That's not the point at all. Um, it's identifying what you can do and challenging yourself. And, and pushing yourself yeah and he's able to keep going i mean yep. that is an appropriate use of technology for sure yeah 100 percent. so for us you know all this technology is is woven into our lives um being able to use these tools um you know i keep my goats in with electric net uh, net <laughs> fet, uh, fencing and we write customer service emails on our laptops i design this new book we're doing and InDesign on my iMac, my big screen, uh, to, to be able to do this stuff. And of course, there's value in, you know, calling a customer, talking to them face to face, but, but it's not feasible. We can't do that all the time. So right. we decide to outsource aspects of our life so that we can, um, we can expedite some of those things. Mm -hmm. um, but because our lives are filled with technology precisely because of that reason right we make sure to design our lives so that we um, have a commitment to practices that demand engagement 
Yeah, it's very easy to fall into the trap of allowing technology to, to do your work for you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how technology is marketed. And so if you are unconsciously just going into that, uh, it'll, it'll quickly remove these, these freedoms from your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the whole idea of focal practices, right. Yeah. Or like raising pigs. Yeah. Raising so that's pigs. a very hands-on kind of thing, right? Especially when they get out all the time. Yeah. It's very hands-on. All the time. <laughs> and they're like 400 pounds or something. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> they don't move. But, anyway. um, but yeah. And so like everybody has their own threshold and what they want to choose to do and choose not to do. But like for me, I would say, okay, I'm going to use InDesign to design this new book or this Mm -hmm. magazine but when i'm writing emails to people that expedites a lot that helps a lot however the little auto suggested sentences i disable that feature because i don't want google telling me or giving me suggestions of what how what sentence i should use to interact with a person right so that for me is a line where i'd say whoa you know what i'd actually like to have my own sentence to a person right um, because that, when I start looking at their auto-suggested responses, that starts seeping into my brain, and I, I now am building a bear. Right. Yeah, and now right. I'm saying there are three responses possible, or maybe subtle variations, but maybe life isn't like that. Right. Maybe I should think about that person and write to them in a very specific way. So that's kind of the thought process that I'm going through, thinking about why am I even emailing somebody? Why am I trying to communicate with a person? And how can I do that in a way that I can still be faithful to my other responsibilities, but that is uh, honoring to that particular person or that particular board yeah. or this yeah. this project? So, yeah, I think that's... I want to be able to use technological advancements to be able to create more opportunities for engagement, mm. to be able to live life better. Yeah. Um, or like what I would say is... Um, our tools and our technologies, they should be the end. The goal is that they should be making us better, hmm. not only making our stuff better. Right. So it should be improving us, not just yeah. our possessions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is a great, great perspective that our tools and technologies should be making us better, not just our stuff. Uh, so we'll leave it with that. Yep. That's a good so that's closing thought. Yeah, <laughs> that's our answer. Uh, thank you all for listening and, and, and holding on through this uh, <laughs> this edition of the Mortis and Tenon podcast. If you haven't already, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any comments or questions, you can leave them below or email us. We promise we won't send you an auto response. All right. <laughs> and uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye.